You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLocal and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll receive a tasty 20% off your next order. On tonight's podcast, we have a number of different updates to go over, some of which are a little bit heavier in nature, and I do warn you some of the material will be a little bit intense and very graphic. I won't go into details as far as what some of the um, specifics around these cases concern, but I will be referring to some rather intense material. So just kind of go in understanding that this will be coming up, and it's going to deal with a bit of bullying and hazing at the junior hockey level. So if you are uncomfortable, just be aware that the first few minutes I'll address it briefly. And then we'll talk a little bit about the NHL's return to play plan, which sounds like it is underway and that there is, roughly speaking, a firm date as well as a schedule length. And then for the rest of the show, we will go into our creative playmaker series for both the NHL and in world football. But before we get into that, I kind of wanted to cover an article from uh, TSN, and this is the one that I mentioned is going to be a little bit sensitive. Uh, If you haven't read the article already, I do recommend that you check it out. Just understand, if you are uncomfortable with the subject matter, it is a fairly graphic article. It talks about in great detail um, some of the allegations of former NHLers and hockey players who have gone through the CHL system over the past several decades, and the bullying and hazing that is described, it honestly... I can't really put it into words. Um, The way that I'll describe it is that it started to make my stomach turn, and I don't usually physically react to stuff like this, but I felt ill reading this article. And I think at the very core of the issue remains that when it comes to the culture that surrounds hockey, and especially at at all levels, really, uh, it's it's probably gotten better in some areas, but I wouldn't say that uh, you know, I know for sure what exactly is going on behind the scenes from these former players. The stuff that they were describing is is on a level that you really can't imagine. Um, obviously, we all know that bullying and hazing has been a part of, of sports culture for generations upon generations. And a lot of leagues have tried to really root it out and get rid of it and improve it, right? But obviously, it's still out there and it definitely still exists. You still hear stories of it in, in, in college sports, in high school sports. Um, I'm sure it happens in pro sports. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the case. And of course, you know, junior hockey is really not any sort of an exception. The level to which they describe the stuff that was happening, though, I mean, it was to the point where somebody was billeted with a, a convicted pedophile. So obviously things are, uh, you know, at a level where I, I think CHL really needs to kind of have a long, hard look at itself and, and question how exactly all of this went under the radar for so long and that so many players never spoke out because they were afraid of retaliation and a lot of them have probably had you know physical and emotional and mental traumas as a result of these experiences and how going forward we protect players from this kind of stuff. Obviously a lot has changed since you know the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but this stuff is not exactly unique. It still happens in some way, shape, or form somewhere. And I think it just serves as a very staunch reminder that 
hockey culture has so many things under the surface that people don't want to admit and talk about that it significantly needs changing. You know, obviously there's an undercurrent of, of racism that's been there for a long time, and this is just another layer of issues that continues to sit there. There's drug addiction, there's sexual assault, which we just saw today. The Pittsburgh Penguins, one of their former AHL coaches, was accused of sexual assault against you know one of his assistant's wives, and she was not the only one who was part of this this whole case. So obviously, I just don't really know what to think other than at times it feels like hockey as a culture and as a sport is is a little too much for me. I don't know how I feel about it. You know, the sport itself, I love and adore, but I, I feel uncomfortable with the amount of cost that comes with it. And obviously this is the case with most pro sports, right? I think we all in some capacity push aside a lot of the stuff that, that makes us uncomfortable and causes cognitive dissonance when it comes to sports enjoyment because thinking about and dealing with these issues would be very conflicting for us. I don't know that any of us would have a great response with how to separate what we know to be going on behind the scenes with the product that sits before us on whatever playing field it's on. What is clear at a base level, though, is that the CHL, at a very fundamental level, needs to reevaluate how all of this was allowed to occur, whether or not it's still a consistent problem in, in certain sectors, and how to protect these players going forward. And ultimately, how do we help the players who have already gone through this process get justice, get help, any of that sort of stuff? I don't really know that there's a clear answer because a lot of this stuff, you know, would require some sort of legal standard of proof to, to actually hold up in the court of law. And for many of these players, it's too late. You know, the damage has already been done and the legal assistance that could exist is probably not going to be, you know, valid at this stage of their careers and their of their lives, really. And so I just... I feel a little bit at a loss because I don't know how this is supposed to be fixed or, or how you help a lot of the people who have been impacted by this. Obviously, there are experts who deal with this kind of thing, but I know for me personally, it's just devastating to hear. And as, as players who are either in junior hockey now, in pro hockey, or are retired in some capacity, continue to speak out and speak up, I, I think we're just going to see the depths to which all of this has really sunk to. I, I think that junior hockey... And a lot of the teams and players and organizations are all in some capacity or were in some capacity complicit with all of this. Even with the Pittsburgh Penguins stuff today, when Bill Guerin was apparently involved in that whole situation as, I believe, a GM or something at the time, he said that the whole situation should be covered up and that the, the matter was dealt with privately rather than going to a public court of law or anything like that. And those attitudes certainly still exist now. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's been swept under the rug. And over the past couple of years, the, the lens and focus has only started to really shine brightly on these issues. So the more that people begin to uncover, I think that the bigger the question becomes, you know, do we need to essentially gut this whole system and rebuild from the ground up? Is reform possible or are there enough protections already in place? And my, my guess is the latter part is going to be a non-question. I think we already know the answer is no. There's probably not enough already in place to uh, prevent this kind of stuff from happening. But I just don't know. I don't really have any easy answers. And I feel like the more I read about this stuff and the more that comes out, I, I just don't understand if there's really a way to work around this where junior hockey can continue on as it is right now without being you know torn down and, and rebuilt from the ground up
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this matter, so be sure to reach out to me at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. And if you want to keep your thoughts private, be sure to message me via DM. I'm very comfortable having private discussions on the matter. And of course, I always appreciate your thoughts and your feedback. For now, though, I did want to move on to the next subject. And in just a moment, we will be taking a look at the NHL's plan for a potential relaunch. It does sound like the NHL and the Players Association more or less have an agreement in place. Before then, though, I did want to tell you a little bit more about tonight's title sponsors at Built Bar in their recent relaunch. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know by now that I'm a huge fan of Built Bars. They're protein bars that are more like candy bars with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. Of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend raspberry and mint brownie. But if you can't choose between the two, be sure to try out their variety box that gives you the best of both worlds. Like any great company, though, Built isn't content to rest on its laurels and is back and better than ever with a brand new Built Bar, including six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. As good as these flavors sound, you might be wondering if any of them will make you feel guilty after taking that first bite. And if you're one of these folks, worry not. Most Built Bars clock in at 200 calories or less, between 15 to 19 grams of protein, and around 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking a little bit tonight about the NHL's plan for a relaunch, which does sound like next season is going to be scheduled for January 13th, which is only a couple of weeks away, really, when you think about it. I think it's a a little bit daunting to consider the fact that the NHL wants to have the season amidst all of the situations surrounding the COVID spikes and all that have occurred. But obviously, I think the NHL pulled off a pretty good bubble system the last time they tried to do this. So maybe if they can fully commit to doing another one, like a multi-bubble situation where they have all sorts of bubbles spread across North America, maybe this is actually going to work. There were some additional provisions which did catch my eye. One of the things that it sounds like they're going to do is to increase the roster size from, I believe, 23 to 26. So this is obviously a big deal to help with uh, injury reserves and also a bit more rotation in terms of player rosters and lineups. They're also going to change some of the fee structures so that guys on AHL deals, I believe, will receive NHL benefits and a couple of other situations if they receive a call-up. I'm not exactly sure how it all works because details are scarce, but it does sound like the NHL is trying to at least balance out the way the contract situation might work in a regular season with the realities of a new system under this COVID bubble kind of thing or whatever they're going to do. They're also going to have a shorter season of around 56 games, it sounds like, so it's looking more like what most people expected. I think at this point we were all just waiting for the NHL to reach an agreement on a specific date because... They did have a memorandum of understanding about uh, a potential restart for 2021, and obviously the NHL really wasn't going to find a way out of it, so it was more up to them to figure out the best way to negotiate, I guess, the specific conditions to get the deal done and in, in process for an executed date with the Players Association sooner rather than later. It does sound like there is additional deferred money on the player side of things. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I've heard an additional 5% being rumored. This whole negotiation process is going to be very complicated, but it does sound like, uh, at least from Greg Gwaszynski's tweet, which referenced somebody from the NHL uh, and ownership team saying everything was done, that the uh, January 13th date is in fact more or less set in stone, and that barring any surprises, we're going to have a season next year. Now, I, I am curious to know how exactly this system is going to work, because we've heard rumors from, you know, 
divisional reorganizations, obviously a, a potential new bubble system. I feel like you're going to have to do the bubbles no matter what because all of the COVID cases are spiking at an uncontrollable rate. They're spreading incredibly quickly. And when we see stuff like the NFL situation right now where the NFL really didn't know what it was doing and didn't really make any COVID plans, and obviously for a while they got away with it, but now we're seeing teams like the Baltimore Ravens where a single super spreader infected like a third of the team. The NHL really can't afford to have that. You know, we're already seeing from the World Junior, you know, Team Canada camps and and some of the other professional leagues out there and some of the other World Junior training camps, players are just getting sick with COVID left and right. I think it's one thing to consider just getting sick from something like the cold or a flu, but COVID is not the cold or a flu. It's something very different, and it, it attacks your cardiovascular system. It travels all across your body, and it can cause really long-term damage. We've heard people losing portions of their lungs, significant cardiac damage. I mean, we, we don't even really fully understand the scope of just how much damage you know COVID causes because, for one thing, it's really hard to figure out how much of it is attributed to COVID's uh, progression throughout your, your vascular system, how much is pre-existing conditions. It's just a mess, and we don't really have time to waste, you know, trying to figure out just how much damage it causes. I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is figuring out how to prevent it in the first place. Obviously, vaccinations are going to be a big deal soon, but, you know, January 13th, again, is only a few weeks away. It's it's just over a month or so, and I feel like the NHL hasn't really mentioned a specific plan for how exactly they plan to do this, other than divisional reorganizations like a Canadian-only division, which, you know, seems fair enough. If the teams in Canada stay in Canada... Fine, that makes sense, but how exactly are you going to have them play other teams from the U.S.? Are they all going to travel up north and play, you know, in the same in the same country for several weeks? Are they going to set up individual bubbles and just play against divisional opponents? I really feel like the NHL needs to clarify what exactly the process is going to be because it's not going to be like the playoffs, right? The playoffs only had a limited set of teams for a fairly short period of time, relatively speaking. This is going to be multiple months, and it's going to have to be done in a way that's sustainable and avoids any sort of uh, super spreader events getting through. I think it's also going to be really difficult from a psychological perspective, uh, you know, and how players are going to handle the situation. A lot of them are going to have to be isolated for long periods of time away from their families, and there's no telling how that's going to impact them. The league has a very tight balancing act to pull off here, and I don't really know how they're going to do it. I I think that there are certain scenarios that make a lot of sense. Obviously, a specialized bubble system does make sense. I think it's actually a necessity at this point. But all the travel and logistics and everything seems a bit up in the air. So obviously, we're waiting for more details. We haven't even heard like an official confirmation that January 13th is in fact the go date. But as soon as we get any sort of hard confirmation and additional details on what this new arrangement might look like, I'll talk about it on the podcast and try and give you a bit of a uh, a bit of an analysis on what might work or what might need to be changed ahead of the January 13th tentative start date. For now, though, that's going to wrap up our discussions on the NHL's 2021 season plan. Up next, we will take a quick look at some of the top playmakers in hockey and football, continuing our ongoing Greatest Playmaker series. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight's episode with a little bit more talk about some of the greatest playmakers in hockey and in football. And of course, we will be continuing the series throughout the rest of the week, so keep an eye out for those next couple of episodes. On tonight's show, I did want to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Sabres, because this is a team that I tend to think gets a little bit, I don't know, crapped on for being 
fairly unsuccessful as of late, which is pretty fair. I mean, the, the Sabres in a lot of ways represent dysfunctional hockey organizations in perhaps the most frustrating way possible. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that the Sabres have never really given Jack Eichel the kind of team to actually succeed. Eichel, when he was drafted, was obviously a little bit on the, not necessarily controversial side, but I think a lot of people were saying, well, you know, he's obviously overrated. He's never going to hit the heights that McDavid has. He's as clear a number two pick as you could possibly get. And while it is true in many ways that Eichel isn't quite on the same skill level as somebody like McDavid, very few players ever will reach those heights, if, if any at all, really. Eichel has developed and progressed to the point of being severely underrated. He's probably one of the best centers around, and I really feel like his overall growth as a two-way playmaking center has really gone under the radar. In possession, he's one of the most creative and dynamic players you'll find. He can find you with a great pass. He's got great skating. His stick handling and edge work remain very elite. His gapping and spatial awareness are great. He's got a really hard shot that's very accurate and quick. I mean, he just has all of these elements to his game that, for me, represent a perfect franchise center. Obviously, you know, Eichel isn't somebody who is going to likely have a Hall of Fame career, but I don't think that that means he's he's really far off from it either. I think Eichel is going to be one of the best centers that was drafted over the past several seasons, and it seems like he's going to continue to be an elite playmaker. He's somebody who's the great setup man. He's got excellent, you know, uh, goal-scoring ability. He's got great vision. He just has all of these elements to his game that make him one of the most dangerous players for Buffalo, and arguably their best all-around skater. I don't know that anyone else on the team really comes close to the sheer amount of impact he has on the game. I think that his ability to completely dominate in both ends of the ice makes him an incredibly gifted player, and it's crazy that out of all of the players that have been drafted over the past several seasons, especially as a top three pick, he's actually one who has gone from being severely overrated to underrated. His road to superstardom may have been a little bit slower than some of the other picks, but I think the fact that he's rounded out his game so much and has continued to develop into such a dominant playmaking center makes him a really fascinating case study for a, a bit more patience with some of these prospects. Obviously, a lot of guys around his age need to be hitting their primes and, and excelling, but I think Eichel is somebody who put in the hard work, he's really rounded out his game, and you can hardly argue that he was a disappointment when he was drafted, and he's certainly not a disappointment now. Quite the opposite indeed. On the football side of things, you might be wondering what sort of playmaker we can talk about as being a slightly late bloomer, and one of those guys is actually Kevin De Bruyne. I might have mentioned Kevin De Bruyne in previous episodes, but KDB is one of those players who I think, every time I watch him, he's just so exciting because he has this almost supernatural ability to manipulate the pitch and the ball to suit his whims. This is a guy who understands where his teammates are at all times. He can hit him with a beautiful, beautiful pass, whether it's a diagonal cross, a short pass, a long pass through the ground. There's just so many ways that he can break you down. And then when he's actually on the ball, he's got next level dribbling, excellent, excellent shooting, great long shots, great vision. He's just a really complete midfielder and somebody who can be used in a more attacking role, or if he needs to track back and adopt a more defensive position, he's very comfortable doing that as well. It's rare to find somebody who is as naturally gifted as he is, but his his shooting and vision and passing are just on a level that you don't really see with players like him. He combines elements of a center forward, a, a deeper lying midfielder, and occasionally an attacking mid in a complete package that I think is an exceptionally rare mixture. The only thing that has ever really held him back is his injuries that have really derailed a lot of his earlier years in his career. When De Bruyne stays healthy, though, there are few players in the world who are better at, at being a, a, essentially a primary catalyst than he is. 
He's been named as one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielder in football over the past couple of seasons, and it's really hard to argue with that reputation. While he may not be quite as good this season, he continues to excel in so many categories, and every day that you get to watch him in a fully healthy state playing for City or wherever it is he ends up next, I, I think it's a blessing. KDB is truly a fantastic player. He's always very critical of his own performances, and he's always looking to improve, and he just seems like a guy who really gets it at a fundamental level. If you're a Kevin De Bruyne fan, let me know at HLLivingLoco or at the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets, and let me know if you have any playmakers you want me to discuss. I'd love to hear some underrated names that you have yet to hear on this podcast and want me to cover. That's going to do it for tonight's show, though. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast, hosted by the wonderful Sarah Evampato. Don't miss another big hockey story, and start your week off with Locked On NHL. Every Monday at Locked on Kings host Sarah Avampato interviews local experts covering the biggest stories in hockey. Get reactions to blockbuster trades, deep dives on teams destined to be at the top of the standings, and analysis of hockey's hottest stars. Subscribe to Locked on NHL wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, have a great night, and go Jets go!